Welcome to The Complete Musician, creativity at its core, exploring innovative musical ideas, thoughts, and techniques for the modern musician in today's society, with your hosts, James Nagus and Drew Phillips. Welcome to another episode of The Complete Musician Podcast. I'm Drew. And I'm James. Hold on. Uh... You sound you sound a little funny. Are you are you sure? Are you sure you're James? Uh I think so. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. Well, if you were James, then you would know a couple things. Okay. okay. So here's some questions. You gotta mm-hmm. make sure you, that you are him. Um okay. what is James would know, what is your favorite restaurant? Uh Taco Bell. That's that's right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Why so would you doubt me, right. Drew? We've been through I, so much. I, okay. Okay. Um, okay. Here's the next one. <laughs> this is very obvious. Um, of the My Little Ponies, which one is mm-hmm. your favorite? Uh, Mr. Ed. I guess. I mean, only his true friends know that he is a brony. So mm-hmm. that does. Okay, that checks out too. All right. Last one. Last one. Mm-hmm. On the. Uh, the third Thursday of every February, mm. what do you have to do? Um, buy new socks for my silly sock collection. Oh, I'm sorry that you were not, James. The answer was go skydiving. Ugh, I'm oh. Sorry. sorry. That's just, or buy a bucket of eels. Either one. Oh, that um, was my next, that was my next guess, actually. Oh, uh, well. This is and, why identity theft is a danger. You need that third security question. There you go. That's right. That's why there's three of them. And to all of our listeners, now you know this is not James, <laughs> but we have a wonderful special guest who is a friend of the Hormoto Horn Duo here. We have Dr. Anne-Marie Cherry here. She Hi. is a professor at Columbus State University in Columbus, Georgia. She is a horn player extraordinaire virtuoso player, amazing mm. teacher, skydiving enthusiast, great <laughs> position creator, and um, I think uh, you you like baking um, pies, mm. maybe? Yeah. Sure. I also certainly enjoy eating them, and I also okay. enjoy tacos, so I have that in common with both of you. There you go. And, and that's why tacos. Yeah, that's why you're such a good friend of the podcast. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. anyway, we are so happy to have her on, since James is still off on his whirlwind adventure that... Mm. Can't talk about yet, or he'll have many stories coming back from that we are international. Yeah, he's an international man of mystery, is what's happening. That's the perfect description. So he will have tons of stories. But right now, uh, Amory is joining us or joining me for uh, talking about our the recent podcast releases, which was about teaching and Mm. uh, that little mini series I did on structuring rehearsals structuring practice structuring private lessons all those kind of big topics mm. um so uh amory you have listened to all of these little things that i've given mm-hmm. and you know i i gave a lot of thoughts and i i spoke many words um not yes. not all, not good ones not all of no, them some of the best words though some, okay. some really excellent ones yeah oh good at least some of them were good and yeah. so, <laughs> What I want is exactly what I think, and I think both of us think all of us should be doing as teachers, which is yeah. just talking about how we do things and yeah. what yeah. we, how we can share our knowledge with each other. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree with you that as teachers, 
um, the more we can talk to other teachers, the better our own teaching will become. So I'm excited to do this. This will be fun. Yeah, this is going to be fun. So we're just going to go uh, bullet by bullet, uh, mm-hmm. episode by episode. So the first one was on planning. And mm-hmm. you know, we talked about planning with structures. And my big thing, when, that one I know, was about stating your objectives and goals at the beginning of a lesson. Yeah. Uh, talking about activities and purposes and content. What do you think? You know, I loved this. So my first reaction when I heard this whole episode was, oh, my goodness, he's so much more organized than me. (laughs) Um, And I loved it. No, no, I (laughs) loved it because um, there's an undercurrent that I think we both agree on, which is mutual uh, understanding of expectations and goals. I think it's essential and it it is a key component of trust Mm -hmm. that your students know that you have their best interest at heart and that you're not going to rip the rug out from underneath them and ask them to do a scary thing. Um, so that I loved, but it's interesting. So, um, for objective and goals, I was thinking like, for me, I tend to think of it more as like, I'm giving them a preview, I guess, of what to come Mm. being like, okay, so based on how blank went, whether it's like something that happened in their recital jury or a thing I heard in an ensemble or something like how they played in studio class. Like I always want it to be based on a tangible moment that they can go back to and either have a recording or have a solid memory of what it was. I like that. Uh, I like yeah. that because you're right. You can hear them uh, because I said you could state your objectives and goals in the beginning of the lesson, but you can also do it. You're right. After they play, you're yeah. right. They can do yeah. a thing. And then you're like, okay, we need to work on this because right. this was not so great. Right. And I like to phrase it as like, here's how we're going to move forward. Mm, um, I like that. Because sometimes I know for me, I tend to get wrapped up in my own practicing, like when I'm not exercising my best practice strategies on what my end goal is, but the clear way forward is far more important than the end goal um, in the moment. You know, like if you're just focusing on your end goal, then that's when the temptation, I think, for students comes to like ratchet your metronome up too fast, too soon, Mm -hmm. um, or like get really caught up in like, why can't I do this at the tempo I want instead of being like, okay, well, I can do it one click faster, and that's good. So what happens if I bump it up a little bit? And then you right. learn what your stumbling blocks are along the way. So I don't know. It's it's the same basic idea, but I tend to give them a second of playing something first cool. um, like instead of starting off right away. But yeah. I think that it's really a great idea, too. It depends on your own relationship with your students, I think. And would you, um, would you think that it's also uh, dependent on the age of the student? Like, would you, absolutely. Do you think, like, younger kids need to know exactly what they're going to do? Or do yeah, you think that the I same think... kind of thing can happen? No, 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 no. I mean, I, well, okay. So I think younger students need to know kind of what's coming because most of them aren't really sure what lessons are about. True, true. Right? And so I think that's great for them to be like, okay, we're going to start with this. And our goal is this because it does take, you said this beautifully, but it takes a lot of pressure off of it. Yeah. If you're like, my goal is just to like, we're going to learn this pattern of notes or we're just going to use great air. That's the thing I find myself always coming back to. Yeah. It's like, I want you to use a really efficient blow. And if you crack all the notes, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> and then when I take the accuracy out of it, then they relax, you know, yeah. or if I give them an objective. Um, and this is something that like in my mindfulness research, I talk about a lot, having an intention um, yes. so that if you're achieving that intention, then that's a success. And it might make you aware of other intentions you need to set, but it's not a fail because you didn't achieve everything at once. It's still a win. Like achieving any of your intentions is awesome. Oh. Oh, yeah, I remember saying that. And, oh, your mindfulness stuff? Oh, we're going to talk about that. Uh, Because, (laughs) you know, um, not to, you know, preview anything, but, yeah, there are some uh, things in the works um, Mm. for some Kormodo things to maybe 
go down and do some visiting and um, Ooh, yes. there mm-hmm. will certainly be some podcasting in the future with that. And yes. I don't know if you're 100% aware of what we do with our um, with our podcast guests, but you have to summarize your research and important things in two minutes. So oh, be careful no. about wasting all your words on mindfulness. Now, okay. I'll save them all for later. Excellent. Okay. Fantastic. Good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. any more mm-hmm. thoughts about uh, about planning? Yeah. So you were talking a lot about structure and I was thinking about this a lot because I'm in a new job and meeting new students for the first time. It's a great um, perspective in, to have. Yes. Yeah. So like in my previous life, when I was uh, in Austin, I was an adjunct professor at UT, which is just, you know, like a wonderful time. But I also was teaching 50 private lessons a week to area high school and middle school kids. So I was like kind of covering the gamut. And I was thinking about this. And I really feel like for me, my structure is very different depending on the student's skill level. Mm, okay. Um, so not in like a, and again, you're much more organized than I am. So like for me, it has to do a lot with what is our big overarching goal? Like so there are students that are playing really well and about to launch themselves into a professional career. And you're mostly like helping them get the repertoire knowledge that they need, helping them figure out how to be their own teacher when they leave because they're really close to graduation. And those kinds of goals inherently are going to have a different kind of a structure because you might have to cover an immense amount of repertoire quickly. Or you might be, if they're gearing up for a competition, living with the same rep for a really long time. Um, And so you, to me, that's, that's a different kind of a structure, helping them stay motivated and not frustrated or bored with the same thing for a long time versus like a a college freshman who's also just figuring out the life skills of college. Oh, yeah. Um, And so that it's funny, like I started thinking about how that different aspects of where they are in their life creep into what we do in lessons. But I love that you have a structure and I love that your students feel like they know what's coming up and what's coming in the door. I especially love that you, you emphasize that for first lessons. Um, because I think it's a thing that a lot of us don't think about. And as a college professor, that's definitely a thing that happens in our lives. You know, high school students reach out to us and want to have a lesson. Um, but they don't really know what that means yet. And they're entering this big, scary building that seems very important, Yes. you know, and so they're going to want to project the best versions of themselves and anything we can do to help them feel equipped to do that, I think is great. So I love that. Um, I love to do like a kind of getting to know you, I call it investigating, Mm, um, yeah. So like when a student first comes in, if I don't know them, um, sometimes I say like, hey, pretend like I'm not here and like, let's get warmed up. I'm sure you want to play some notes. So, like take me through the crash course of your warm up because you can see a lot of times what are the things in their playing they're avoiding. Yeah. Um, and then what are the things they're really good at? Um, and also see kind of how patient they are with themselves or what they're really listening for. Like if they're playing through an overtone series and it's super rough, but it's really fast you know, then that tells you something. And then I like to play duets with them um, and like make it feel like a game, but I can learn so much about their musicianship through watching them do that. Absolutely. Um, And then once they feel comfortable with me, especially because in duets, I mean, like I'm a good sight reader, but I make mistakes sometimes. And that I think the humanizing element of that, like, oh, whoops, you know, like I'll joke about it. Like, well, you know, thank you for sticking with it. I don't know what my problem was. (laughs) And then when they feel comfortable with you as a human, then when you dive into the rep, I feel like that's a really, that's a, a place of trust already. And I, so, but I loved what you had to say about all of that. Those were just yeah. my thoughts about that. Yeah. Um, I love your online notebook. That's brilliant. I take notes by hand, like an old lady. And I used to do that. And yeah. then I would lose the notebook. 
And <laughs> I and then and I also did it because my kids can access it too. Yeah. Because they're always like, I don't know what to practice. I don't know what we worked on. And I'm like, now you have no excuse. So yeah. you can look online and see it. But yeah, I used to keep a, a, a notebook too. I also used to require them to bring a notebook and then mm. none of them would. So oh, yeah. I took that out of the equation and now I just do it. <laughs> I, no, I think that's brilliant. Do you let them edit it? Like, oh, is it like it, they can only view it? Oh, they can only view it. Okay, good. Because... I was thinking about that. I was trying to figure out because on the one hand, like if they can make comments, that's kind of cool. It um, could be useful. Yeah. Yeah, but like I don't think you'd want them to edit it. That's just interesting. But I Especially, love that idea. Yeah. I, I know some teachers who have done that, and like they put their grades in there for like yeah. the lesson. So if you're like a grade, you know, whatever, and they're like, no, this was perfect. Yeah, I'm gonna tweak that. I think. Um, the only other thing that I was I started thinking about as a result of listening to your podcast of that episode. Yeah. And this again is very much based on where I am right now, and that I'm. It's my first semester in a new place. Right. Um, the importance of knowing the rhythm of the system they're operating in. Okay. So, like, knowing for a high school student when their all-state auditions are coming up. Right. Um, and then if their band director requires them to play those etudes for the class or something like that, like yeah. helping them be successful for the things you may not intuitively think are a part of your lessons. But I think my goal into their lives. Yeah. 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 I never want my students to feel like when they pick their horn up to play, they're set up to fail. Like they may have yeah. to accept that it's not going to be perfect, but I want them to feel like they can still achieve things. Yeah. And so a huge part of that for me has been trying to understand the rhythm of where we are. So whether that's how far in advance of a recital, a recital yeah. jury has to be, and therefore how soon we have to get a pianist and lessons and that kind of a thing, or when their concerts are happening and the fact that they're going to be like brain dead and swamped because Absolutely. it's a concert and, week. And what right. rehearsals they have that day. Yes. And what you're yeah. right, like what their daily lives are. You're right. That, yeah. that goes into it. I, I forget a lot of that. Uh, sometimes when I when the students come in, I I don't remember like oh yeah you you have marching band rehearsal in an right. hour and if I blow your chops now like it's gonna yeah. suck like for you right. for the next two hours like yeah. oh, you have three hours of orchestra and wind band today oh my gosh right. we have to be careful you're right that's right. a good that's a great point and so you know it, it's it's just an interesting shift because it it doesn't inherently belong in what you're doing in that room but horn playing doesn't exist in a vacuum either you know so it's it's interesting for me as I'm navigating that space and trying to yeah. be responsive to my students um cool. so yeah but other than that i loved all of the things you had to say i mean this is yeah. this is fun this is great I, yeah I, lo I love your idea it's fantastic oh, thanks. more things to think about too okay and so uh i guess we'll move on uh so mm -hmm. the next one was about communication which yeah is very fun one yeah guess, talking about precise language which is like the hardest thing in the world and yes. which is also about listening to yourself and yes. that is the worst thing to do is to yes. listen to your own voice it's I horrible. It's I know. and i I, know. I don't know if you ever thought about this i realized just from thinking about it that i have certain ticks that i use mm -hmm. i and, and there are like the insert or the useless words that i use my one that i use all the time that i'm like desperately thinking about right now and trying to do all the time is saying the word so I connect <laughs> so many sentences with the word so. so when and when I listen yeah. back, I'm like, why did I do that? That was so yeah, yeah. useless. Like no, why so mine, my big tell I have been told when I'm thinking about how to phrase something, like I'm trying to be very careful. Not necessarily in a negative way, but uh -huh. just being very careful, is I do this thing where I go, um 
and it's like very high pitch. <laughs> um, and I had no idea that I did it until I heard one of my students parroting it back to me. And I was like, no, okay, all right, fine. <laughs> so that's that's mine that I'm working on because it could be something that they're like, well, what do you think? You know, how, how did it sound? I'm like, ah, <laughs> and you're well. What to say, right? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Yeah. I so I that. definitely have those. But okay, so here's what I loved about this. Um, you so you have a very strong music ed background. Like your undergrad is in music ed, is that right? Yeah. Yes, that is. Um, uh, and yes. I I'm a failed music ed major. I was a music ed major until my Shut senior up. year, no, and then I said no, no, no. But so it made me like harken back to some of these things in yeah. a really great way. So the only thing I would add to precise and direct is empowering. Um, because the danger of precise and direct for, for me in my own life is that it sometimes can feel harsh. And rude. Um, yeah, it can. And critical. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or like that I'm just like stating it like a fact and not a possibility. Right. Um, and so that was the only thing I thought of with that is like, okay, I, for me, I have to add that. And not everyone is that way. I just, when I'm trying to be concise, I come across like I'm incredibly negative sometimes. I can too. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and that's really hard. And that also requires listening to yourself or being, reading the room, like the amount of times that I realize that I have said something more emphatically than I meant to because I see the look on the student's face where like they take it in a way where I'm like, oh, that's not what I meant. Right. Um, And so I find myself often qualifying things to sh- to like not lessen the blow but make sure they understand my intention in saying it and you're empowering um, that's that's an awesome thing to add like to to give them the power of yeah like they're in control yep. and it's also lifting them up in a positive way of like you have this choice now it's for your own betterment and yes you you can do it like it's not like i'm saying do this because it's what i want to do it's like right. this is what you want to to right. be better yes. right yeah this is your journey and yes. this is what i want you to try so uh-huh. i had i i kind of wrote these two scrambled thoughts down that hopefully make sense when i was listening to the very beginning of this as long as one, they're not like eggs scrambled eggs All right. no they're not scrambled eggs i promise okay so one is from a podcast i was listening to that i forget the name of right now because i'm the worst um <laughs> but the host was talking about the concept of asking the second question. And I actually have found this really powerful. This was literally Mm. just like a week ago, but she was talking about, she went to a professional development retreat or something and they broke them up into groups and made them discuss a really hard moment in their lives with this group of strangers. But the strangers were not allowed to ever make a statement. They always had to ask a question. Mm. And she was talking about like asking the second question is really hard because most of us ask the first question and then we already know the thing we want to prescribe or the example we want to give Mm. and it's a closed deal. And I, so I challenged myself this week, ask another question with the students. And it was amazing because sometimes it revealed that they, they didn't have vocabulary to describe the moment we were in. And then it was Mm. fine for me to pivot to instruction. But sometimes they made the leap on their own just because I asked them a question and I was Mm. like, that's far more helpful are there, um, are, is there an example you can give of that? Yeah, it's really yeah. interesting. Yeah, well, it's, it's hard. Um, yeah. I think teachers get in the mode of wanting to immediately be able to give an answer. Right. Um, so, okay, so there's a student who uh, is preparing for like a concerto competition or something like that. Right. And they're playing through, um, like say the exposition of a Mozart or something, okay. right? Yeah. And so they stop and they're frustrated with something. And I say, okay, uh, what was the thing, like, you know, what would you expect me to say in this moment? What's the thing that you immediately go to is like, yep, mm. that's the one I've got to fix. 
mm-hmm. right? And so then most of the times they'll say something like, well, the 16th note runs, right? And I could, I could answer and say, yeah, exactly. Or I could say, what about them? Mm. Get specific. And then right. they have to take a second and be like, oh, like, how well, do I fix this? Right. And then they, to, well, yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. Because then they have to clarify what it is. And yeah. so then they might say, well, it's not clean. And I'll say, great. Do you think that's because of your articulation or do you think that's because of your air? And like, if I just keep giving them options and making them contemplate it, the direction. Now, sometimes that can feel a bit like, guess what she's thinking. So I think you, <laughs> right, you right. have to be careful. Yeah. But it was really interesting, especially with my older students. To watch them suddenly dig deep and be like, oh, I know this answer. I I love that. Yeah. It's empowering. Just like you said, it's empowering. And it also makes them, like you said, qualify things that that you realize they may not be able to qualify. Like if you're talking about students and or talking to students and talking about tone and you talk to them about, okay, so like you said, what do you think needs to be fixed? Okay, well, uh, here, my tone. Like, right. what about your tone? Right. Well, it's not good. What, it qualified. What is not good? Do you know? Right. Describe yeah. what good is to me, and then yeah. we'll talk about how to fix it. That's right. That. Yeah, Sometimes. and so it's, but it's really hard, um, yep. forewarning, but it's also really <laughs> powerful. So yes. that's been a new thing. But the other thing I was going to awesome. say um, is sometimes I tell them, you know, like we may not come across the V answer today, but we're going to try a bunch of things because we're going to be like scientists. Because we're detectives. Um, yes. Right. Yeah. And so then I tell them, I want to invite you to explore this this week and then tell me how it goes. Because there are moments that I think students feel like we are going to give them a definitive answer that we can't be like, well, this is the Band-Aid and this will fix it. Uh, because we don't know everything. <laughs> right. Or like because there's an there's a factor that we haven't piece together yet right Right. like maybe what we hear is accurate but what we don't know is that they're not doing a good warm-up before their lesson Mm. or that they had a two-hour rehearsal before their lesson right or that you know and so sometimes it'll be something like i'll tell a student i want you to only practice this for two minutes like you put a timer on and you only get two minutes and let's see how it goes like what happens if you have to be that efficient not that I think this will 100% fix it, but it's going to give us the next piece of information. Um, and that's been an interesting thing. So, like, I think that that clarifying that it's okay to not know right away if this is the fix. Yeah. But to be brave enough to try it anyways. And go um, on the journey. Yes. Yeah. 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 So those were, yeah. Uh, and then, but, I mean, all of this is great. I, I had a question about, um, with new students, especially yeah. how you establish a common vocabulary with them. Mm. Like I have certain analogies I go to all the time. Yeah. And now that I'm in like this cohort of where all of my students are new to me, right? right. I have uh, to be like, have we talked about the blah, 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 blah. And also I have uh, the weirdest yeah. analogies. Like I talk oh, yeah. about glowing orbs of light and nonsense sometimes <laughs> but so like i'll be like did we talk about the glowing orb and then either they're like oh yeah 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 they're like i'm sorry what um, <laughs> um uh, yeah that's oh that's tough um the vocabulary you use with a student because you're right yeah. every teacher has their own idioms we have mm-hmm. our own experience that we use um right. And uh, if we're using precise language statements, maybe there should be no idioms. But we play, <laughs> we do, we do music though, and music yeah. is so 
descriptive and vague and you can't put your finger on it. It's intangible. Like so many things we have to describe. So um, you're right. Idioms are definitely a teacher's go-to. And I think honestly, what te- what sticks with students after we're yeah. done, with, they remember these things. I, right. I remember so many little, like just phrases that my teachers say. Um, mm-hmm. How do I establish that? I try at least with students coming in uh, because uh, like my, my vocabulary, if I think about it, huh, you're making me think. Um, I know. Uh, no, you're really making me think right now. Because um, <laughs> I talk about overtone series a lot. That's a right. lot of my vocabulary. And that's, I mean, that's a technical term, but I yeah. try and establish overtone series and I, I verbally assess them on it almost every time. I'm like, right. we are starting an exercise on overtone partial um, six in E trumpet. Tell me that note. And they're like, oh, yeah, and they go through the, oh, have, and I'm like, right. we talked about this. Let's go through the process and talk about it. Yeah. Again. Um, yeah. 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 And give them a chance to, to ask the questions again. I think that's yes, great. Yes. When, uh, okay. So we're talking about other language. Um, I like to talk about, oh, let's see. I like to talk about, uh, especially concise air. Mm. Uh, and, and directed air out in front of you. That's one of yeah. my things is is making sure that your air is controlled and out in front of you. And I used mm. to, I like to use this analogy of um, okay, here I'm going to tell you when I'm thinking about entrances. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like to think a lot of us. Let's be real. Entrances are really hard, and mm-hmm. a lot of times, like some of the hardest things that we have to do is just starting. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of times we don't use the air we need mm-hmm. uh, because we're scared of it and mm-hmm. because we just don't put it in the direct place. It's too wide. It's too whatever. Right. It's not, yeah, absolutely. Can't control it. So one of the things I used to use is uh, my analogy of Sesame Street characters. Remember when there were celebrities and they were doing like, this is the letter B today. And they put like their face in the hole and yeah. that kind of thing. Okay. So those were annoying to me when I was a child <laughs> even they're annoying now but they were annoying when I was a child and so I just always just, just like want to sock them just like punch yeah. them right in the face yeah. Yeah. and so I think I, I tell my students a lot like when you use your air it's like throwing a punch like you're mm. not gonna punch you're not gonna uh, fight somebody that's taller than you because you're gonna get your butt kicked you're not gonna fight yeah. someone shorter than you because that's dishonorable how dare you <laughs> you're gonna fight someone your own height at your yeah. eye level that you right. can do a good right hook at and that's where your airstream needs to be it needs to be like a punch to the face of the sesame street celebrity oh, that's so funny and, okay so wait can i interject with a similar thing go. that i yes. okay so i think it's a similar concept but i tell my students to imagine that they're playing darts yeah. And I say, what happens if you hesitate when you throw your dart? Someone's and they're like, the yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was like, so even <laughs> if it doesn't hit the bullseye, I need you to throw it, yes. like follow through and just throw it. And then we can correct it. Yes. But you have to play it like it's darts. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's funny. So to you, like throwing a punch and throwing it, I mean, like it's throwing like an emotion that has yeah. nothing really to do with air, but yeah. that 100% makes sense. Yes. Um, I love this. I mean, this is exactly the sort of vocabulary that I'm talking about. Yes. Um, that's so crucial because if you, if they know that that's what you're going to say, like if you can just say to them, no, you got to play like you're throwing a punch for right. a student who's heard that before. They're like, great. Yes. Um, for a student who hasn't heard that before. They're like, uh, are we going to fight? Like, what? right. Yeah. They're like, wait, what does that mean? Do do? Right. Um, are you promoting violence? No. Um, so, <laughs> Do you just like tell your students? Yeah, yeah. Do you just encourage them to constantly ask you questions? Like I try to do that. Like if it doesn't make sense, please don't pretend like it does. Like I, that's fine. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I have really inquisitive students that if mm. it doesn't make sense, they will look at me and be like, um, what? What was that? And yeah, they'll, they'll be very inquisitive about that. Um, mm. But I definitely have students who don't. And so I actually tend to say, does that make sense? A yeah. Lot? And okay. I think yeah. that I think that comes from uh, teaching or doing like the music ed thing. And yeah. I've done that in front of classrooms for so long. And, you know, I do it in front of, I teach ear training too. And yeah. in my ear training, I like to teach the babies. I like to teach the freshmen. That's like my favorite thing in the world is teaching ear training freshmen. And the, it really is. I I, I really love I was like, it. I'm not just lying. It's yeah. just, I just love it. It's so much fun because so they funny. don't know a ton. And I love the, yeah. the fundamentals. It's so much fun. Yeah. Like, I, I ask them and I tell them in the first class, like, I will ask you a thousand times after I introduce a new skill or concept, like, does this make sense? Mm -hmm. And because most of the time, if I don't, all I get back is like blank stares. And it's due to give me like an, a, 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 a nod or a shake or like raise your hand, like, no, I have no No. idea what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. So I say, does that make sense a lot? Yeah. Okay. I do that too, but I was just wondering like if you had any tips for, for building that vocabulary. I mean, cause I was thinking about, you didn't really talk about in, in most of these podcasts, studio class versus individual lessons. Right. And that's because, uh, I don't have a regular studio class. Right. Yeah. And right. I was thinking about like what an advantage. So I'm very lucky in that I get a lot of time with my students as a studio outside of individual lessons right now right. because of the precedent of the program I'm in. That has not always been the case, but that is definitely something for those teachers that have one Yes, that's that true. I would encourage them to utilize that to, to build that sense of community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But that's, it's interesting. If you don't have a studio class, it becomes very one-on-one like, checking it's in, which one-on-one. is, yeah. which is also important. But yeah. um, the only other thing I thought about communication was the necessity to find your authentic voice as a teacher. Mm. So you talked a lot about convictive tone and I know exactly what you mean, but I found, I started thinking about myself. Like I listened to my own lessons this week because I was teaching after listening to the, the episode of you sent course. me yeah. and trying to figure out if convictive is the word I would use to describe myself. Okay. Um, and I don't think it is quite, but it's <laughs> getting at the same heart of it. Like I'm very honest yeah. with my students. Yes. Um, yes. yes. I tend to like joke with them a lot and like yeah. tease them in a way. Yeah, um, I do the same thing. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But it's interesting. Like I, I associate the word convictive um, negatively. Yeah, and but that's not what I ever associate with you. And so right. it's interesting for me to to think about that. And be like, okay, am I being convictive enough, or am I being right. too lighthearted? But I think that the what you're really talking about is holding them accountable, right? And, like, and, yes. And yeah. also just like meaning what you say. So yes. I, and I've seen so many students, like I reference a lot of my music ed students who are in this class because that's primarily where all of this inspiration came from. Right. And yeah. I see a lot of the students saying things, uh, phrases of, well, what if you put your finger on this key or what if you held the instrument up? I'm like, no, no, no. Hold the instrument up. Like, right. That's what you mean, like holding a Right. Up. Yeah, yeah. This. Or the, like or the difference of... between affirming that someone tried and telling them that it was good. Yes. That kind right. Of thing. Like, yes. yeah, because like there yes. are lots of moments where my students are brave and take a risk and I'm, I want to applaud them for that. Yes. But I don't want to lie to them and tell them that that was what we're going for. 
Right. Yes. Right. Yes. So it's like I 100 percent understand what you're saying. But for me, I feel like I probably I mean, just the nature of our personalities being a little bit different. Yeah. I like um, that. As, yeah. Uh, as not as a negative connotation. You're right. Maybe right. convictive is the wrong word. Maybe it's. No, I it's think it's just different. No, it's not a wrong word. Yeah, I would just say to anyone who hears that word and associates it with a negative thing the way that I do, which of course is the result of my own previous experiences with teachers or whatever. I mean, like, right, right, right. right. Like to think, okay, that's not really what you're going for. It's not that you want them yeah. to feel convicted and shamed. Right. It's no. You want them to know what they're accountable for. Yes. And to know that you hear it and you're not just being like uh, uh, light and fluffy about it because it's easier, right? right? Like no one wants to look a student in the face and tell them that really hard truth that's going to crush them. Truth. But that's our job. It you is. Know? <laughs> um, and so so I think that, that that's a great way to explain that. It just like forced me to think about like, okay, what does this word mean to me and why? So I loved that. Yeah. Like forced me to think this week um, about authenticity and accountability, which I think are crucial ingredients of teaching so yeah uh, okay uh i guess we'll move on uh mm -hmm. to instruction we may have to keep this a little bit more brief we are we're breaching oh, that so hour sorry. by the way <gasps> yeah. are we really wow Isn't it, it never seems this long i know I when know. Uh, james and i do this it never it never seems like this long we get i mean to, like, i am james as we've discussed uh, i am james me. what are you uh, talking when we've done this previously it is mm -hmm, we've reached mm -hmm. five minutes and it's like Holy cow. Um, all right. So next one was instruction. Yes. Yes. Um, you talked about uh, the ball in the tube thing. Um, yeah, I don't know what it's called. What is that called? It's called an incentive spirometer, um, which is hilarious. <laughs> but spirometer meaning it measures your breath. Somehow those, that's how the Latin works line up. But I love the word that it says incentive because it implies that there's a thing that you want at the end of it, like a reward. Um okay. And so I actually use one frequently with my students. I don't okay. require them to buy one, right. but I have one handy right. and I use it mostly like if I'm preparing, helping them prepare something like, oh, I don't know, Scheherazade or something where there's like a lot of repeated articulation on one pitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like you just show them that if you focus on the tongue and without the follow through of the air, the ball drops completely. Yeah. That if you activate your air, the ball will stay lifted. Yeah. And usually just showing that is enough for them to be like, oh. But you Modeling. also probably, yeah, awesome. yeah. And so, but I laughed because I was like, mm-hmm, I know what that is. My students call it the blue monster, which I love. Um, but um, I don't call it that. They call it that. That's awesome. But modeling, I think, is hugely helpful. Um even the thing of like modeling back what they just did and exaggerating it so they really hear you do that all the time. Yes. Yeah. And yes. I, like, I always feel a little bit like a mean person when I do it. I always um, think I always say you didn't do it to this degree. I'm exaggerating, but yes, you did do this. So let's yes. not go that far like I did. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay. Um, so in the oh. interest of being brief, I just have two things. Is that okay? Okay. Uh, actually, One. are you going to talk any more about modeling? Uh, no, I wasn't. Do you want me to? Okay. No, I have a question for you. Yeah. Modeling. Okay. So when I started teaching and doing this, um, you know, that's however many years ago, um, which mm -hmm. it's so long ago. Not really. That's right. We're very uh, old. Yes. So old. Um, stroking <laughs> my, my gray beard right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, with, when I started, I would model so much for my students. Like yeah. I would say, you know, play it like this, like, like I try to describe it. And if they didn't mm -hmm. get it like once or twice, I'd be like, well, like this. Mm -hmm. And as I've gotten older, well, I, I stopped, 
I stopped playing as much in my lessons. Yeah. I, I, you know, I learned that from my teacher, um, uh, Dr. Uh, Abigail Pack at university. Mm. Um, she uh, wouldn't play a ton in my lessons unless mm-hmm. either I asked her or if I was like, can we play together or something right. like that? And I think she heard that from, uh, Doug Hill because mm. her teacher, Doug, like Doug, she said, did not play lessons. Like, right. He just didn't. And yeah. so I was like, wow, maybe I need to consider maybe getting better at describing things and stuff. Oh. modeling. But yeah. Maybe, but when, when do I model? Like how often right. do I do this? So no, this is a great question. Yeah. Okay. So digging back into our music ed backgrounds. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about learning models, right? Like VARC being a good one, visual, auditory, yeah. Uh, yeah. reading kinesthetic. Right. And when I was a music student, my mom always tells this story, like when I was taking piano lessons as a kid, that she would sit outside and she would hear me play something and it would be like really, really rough. And then she assumed that for the rest of the lesson, it was the teacher playing because she would hear the next iteration sound way better. And then the rest of them sounded the same. Huh? Um, and really it was just that I had to hear him do it once. And then I knew what the expect, like I, my, it was like, I learned, or I downloaded that information of, Oh, it can sound like that. Right. right. And then I could do it. And I'm still a little bit that way. Um, When I'm learning new rap, like if I have an orchestra concert coming up. I'll go listen. Correct. Yeah, exactly. Um, And so I feel like it depends a little bit on how the student is responding to it. Some students really don't want to hear you play it. Um, Or hearing you play it just means that they're trying to copy what you're doing. And like I always joke with my students, like none of us got into this to do excerpt karaoke. Right. You don't want to sound like someone else. Right. Yeah. You. Yes. Um, and so that's a great question. Um, for me, I find myself modeling more often with students that are struggling with basics. Okay. Um, rather than like musical interpretation, I find I ask them pointed questions. Like I have a student who did the international horn competition recently. Um, and I, we had this like incredible jam packed action week of, um, me giving him like four coachings on his repertoire because of when our semester started, when that competition was. Um, And I didn't pick up my horn once and we still got a lot done, but he's an exceptional player. And it was me just pointing out nuanced stuff. Right. But with, uh, with my freshmen this year, I find myself playing a lot because I'll describe something and she'll understand it. But somehow when I then I'm like, okay, what if it was this? And I play a really short thing. Can you duplicate that back to me? And then she tries. And then I ask her, what did you hear? You know, and it's a little bit of like a game back and forth. And so then we try it again. And then when she finally duplicates it, I say, okay, what did, what did you feel that was different? Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. I think that it depends on what the student, how that student responds to modeling as to how yeah. much I, I do it. But I agree with you. Like Pat Hughes, who was my teacher in my undergrad and master's, yeah. hardly ever picked up his horn to model something for me in that way. Right. Right. Um, whereas Christy Morell, my doctoral teacher, picked up her yeah. horn all the time. Gotcha. Um, and I think you can be an excellent teacher either way. Uh, but it is interesting the kind of impact that that has on a student. And, um, and maybe most of mine also comes from like the fact that I teach trumpet and I mm, very, yeah. very rarely model mm-hmm. trumpet. I will usually only sight read because, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, like we, I can make a decent sound on the trumpet. It's the sure. trumpet, yes. whatever, yeah. mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's what it is. Uh, yes. But it's I, I don't model for them because first of all they can outplay me in range like of course like they right. should be able to out, 
playing right because this is their instrument yeah. right and so i don't model often for that so maybe that's translated over into horn a little bit i don't yeah. know it's interesting. it's interesting i don't have to teach another instrument like that i mean you're a brave soul doing the lord's work with that <laughs> because i don't know um but it is interesting and i would say i don't have a consistent approach to it in the sense of or a methodical approach to it yeah um you talk a lot about improv in this episode and I do feel a little bit like that kind of keys into it because it, it is this kind of improv alchemy with a student to figure out, okay, if my words are making them frustrated, what other tools do I have? Um, Because I always want to avoid that moment when the feedback I'm giving a student forces them to shut down. True. Um, And so if I can shake them out of it by like modeling it back and forth and taking them off of the music and just playing the horn or vice versa. Like if it needs, like, let's sing it, let's talk about it, let's buzz it. Let's yeah. do something that's, you know, so I find myself shifting really quickly, frequently because of what I see the student giving back to me, to be honest. Yeah. Um, awesome. Trying to be dynamic in that way. So I don't know that there's a right answer. No. Um, you did make a comment in this episode that I do want to emphasize that I, I cannot agree with more, which is about teachers needing to keep learning. Oh yeah. Um, I think that's so incredibly important. Um, and that I think that some teachers feel embarrassed about that, like the idea that they don't know an answer, um, or they don't know a piece or they don't. So like, I was thinking about that. Like I frequently will say, I hear this rather than guessing at what they're doing. Um, if I just don't know the answer, I'll be like, this is what I'm hearing. What are you feeling? And then we like try and tie those two things together. Um, but also that I love when my students come in and they've found a recording that I don't know, or Mm, I have a student who's like so excited about French horn social media in a way that I have never been. Um, (laughs) I'm like, I love it because he'll tell me about this video (laughs) he watched. Right. And he like, he posts his own videos and he's really excited. Um, and I love that because I'm learning through him interesting things, um, or through my colleagues. So yes, teachers and learning. And I loved everything about that. Um, so I wanted to say that and yes, there was one other thing that I've forgotten. Oh, I have a true confession. Yes. We love confessions. Okay, good. So you were talking about having a detailed plan. There was at some point in this episode, you talked about having a detailed plan. Uh, Um, about, and that was probably definitely aimed more at like lesson planning, like as like writing down all your procedures. And if you've never done it before, like that's doing it. And so maybe for us, okay, just to preemptive, I don't want you to feel terrible or anything. Like I, when we teach a first time student uh, who has never played the horn before, we have our routine. We know what we're going to go through. We know what we're Uh going to do. It's clockwork at this point because we've done it so many times. I have not written out the instructions for teaching a horn player, and maybe I should, but I haven't done it in a long time. Um, That's who that was aimed at most. Got it. Well, so I started thinking about, like, uh, if you were thinking more like, okay, it's the beginning of the semester, and do I have a sequential lesson plan for each lesson of the semester? (laughs) And I I was like, oh, my God, I don't. So what I was going to say is I feel like I do really well with a framework that's vague and that I know. So, like, if I if that framework includes like lip slurs and then some sort of finger patterns or whatever, and like that, I know the order I want to put it in that, like, I think air is the most important ingredient and everything builds on that. And then it goes to repertoire that I have that kind of I know where we're headed. Yeah. Um, but that we may not get all the way through it and that's okay. So yeah. it was interesting, but you were definitely, I think, talking about people who are, 
for first-time teachers or new teachers at yes. that moment. Yes, I was. Um, uh, there In my semester, the only real organization I've done of that way, like a framework for a collegiate semester, yeah, yeah, was yeah. a couple of semesters ago, I did a project, a semester-long project where I... Uh, every week, the students had to submit videos of me uh, to me of a submitted of uh, a specific exercise, like I a specific. You me about this. Yeah. yeah, and I made these videos that are on YouTube that are hidden from the world that no one can mm-hmm. see because mm-hmm. actually I will find they that. were uh uh-huh, they were public for a long time. And then I'm not kidding. I went on and someone like thumbs downed one of them, and I'm like, if that was a student, first of all, I will find you. Second of all, if it <laughs> If it wasn't a student, um, why are you watching these videos? <laughs> like this, it was like quiz number seven, and it was for about reason, like doing when you said amazing. What? Sorry, when you said I will find you for some reason, I immediately pictured like John Wick, like Keanu Reeves, <laughs> right? Like being, I, yeah, like, and I was like, or like oh, I will find you, or Taken, like yeah, yeah. I, it got very I, dark in my head for a second. Um, um, no, so that, okay, so that makes more sense. So that like that structure of they had a quiz to submit to me every week of a specific exercise. That was a big structure that I used in my lessons because then they had an overtone exercise to do every single time. They knew yeah. they're gonna. Because they had to record it by Sunday night. Done. Yeah. 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 No, that's anyway. great. Um, my only other two things in this, because I know I'm babbling at you and I'm sorry, um, <laughs> were using repetition to boost confidence. That's a thing you hinted at. Yes. Um, but I wanted to say it overtly because a lot of my students right now were like discovering that they're better at the horn than they think that they are. Mm, yeah. Um, and so they'll do a thing and they'll look at me like, well, I can't do that again. And so me to like, yes, you, yes, you can. And like, let's, let's explore it and see how that works. And like to boost their confidence of like, yeah, you just played five high C's for me. You've got them, you know, or something like that, as opposed to, well, you need to do it again to prove to me you can do it. Like to make it something where it's like, you did this so many times, you can do this. Like when you walk into orchestra rehearsal, don't be scared of that. You've done it for me, you know, I know. So that's one thing. And the other thing, what you're talking about improv and, exploring skills and concepts. I like to do this in a really sneaky way. And I 100% stole this from Pat Hughes. Awesome. Um, so he does this thing with students who think they can't play high where he takes an overtone pattern, but it's like kind of a weird interval. It's not an octave and it's not like an octave and a fifth. It's uh-huh. somewhere in the middle, but something their ear can hear. And he just okay. starts them somewhere comfortable and takes them up the valve sequence and they yeah. lose track of what pitch they're playing. I love, yeah, that's awesome. Like and doing then, up to like the seventh partial up to yes. something else is like overtly yes. out of tune. Correct. And you're not trying to get yeah. them to play the right note. You're going to try and duplicate the pattern. Yeah. So I love at the end of it being able to be like, do you know what note you just played? Especially for students who are like, well, I can't play high. I'm like, well, that's nonsense because you just played a high B flat like it was nothing, you know, and like sneaking them into it. Because I do think it's like the musical equivalent of white coat syndrome. You like those people who like their blood pressure goes up just because they're at the doctor's office. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I think that horn players do that when there's a, a thing on the page they haven't achieved before. Oh, and yeah. then every time they see it, they think they reinforce this narrative of I'm not the person who does that. It's panic. Yeah. Yeah. And so I like to just deconstruct that narrative through sneakiness. I love it. Um, and use improv to do that. Because sometimes you don't know what's going to be that moment. and But you can immediately think of like, oh, this lip slur that Adam Unsworth showed me one time. That's the right tool for this. Or like, you know, like whatever. And just like plug in whatever it is or like make a game out of that passage in music. 
great, let's take that and let's start somewhere comfortable and like let's just mess around with it and turn it into a derivative exercise or something. That's super cool. I love that. I'm going yeah. to steal that completely right now. Sneakiness. Uh, so I improve of sneakiness in all forms. All forms. Fantastic. Cool. Mm-hmm. Hey, everybody. Well, this episode is getting a little bit long, so uh, Dr. Cherry will be back to discuss the rest of the topics from the teaching miniseries on the next episode, the continuation of this one, but I decided we're going to cut it off here. Uh, Thanks for listening so far. Please tune in to the next uh, episode in this little two-part Dr. Cherry uh, interview series about teaching. If you want to contact us, you can contact us by email at coremotohorn at gmail.com or visit us uh, at our website or our Facebook page. Listen to us and subscribe and like us on iTunes. We really appreciate it. Be back soon with the next part of the interview. Thanks.